In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is Thank you. Beloved in Christ, I greet you on the second Sunday of Great and Holy Lent. This beautiful and deep time that the church has given us for our healing, for our sanctification. I pray that during this time we we think of it in terms of the renewal of our baptism, of our preparation for celebrating the holy resurrection of Christ as if it were the first time with such an intense anticipation that we wouldn't want anything to get in the way of allowing us to be properly present and aware so that when you finally eat that meal on Great and Holy Pascha, you say, ah, I don't really deserve this. We never really deserve it anyway to celebrate with such a... um, with such joy and such even extravagance. I'm reminded of some of the monastics who fast so simply, they eat so simply year-round that when they celebrate Great and Holy Pascha, they just put a little bit of oil on their food that day. And that's their meal. But you know what? They're great. The, the better meal for them is yelling out, Christ is risen over and over again and believing it, feasting on that. I hope and pray, my dear ones in Christ, that during this time you are, you are coming to understand that there's more than one kind of feast, that there's more than one kind of satisfaction. And it's not, most often, it's not the one that we think it is most immediately that's the easiest to get off of the shelves in the grocery store or out of the pantry. I was thinking about it last night as I was Reflecting on the life and teaching of St. Gregory Palamas, I, I thought, St. Gregory would probably be happy if I stayed up all night in prayer holding vigil, you know, keeping my prayer rope busy. I didn't quite do it, didn't quite. But then I also thought about in the morning when we arise, you know, and we fast in preparation for Holy Communion. We, we put the emphasis on the abstinence a lot of times. We abstain from eating and drinking in preparation for Holy Communion. And we know that when we receive the body and blood of Christ into our bodies, the most intimate thing happens. The uncircumscribable God enters into the the frame of a finite being. What a great mystery and what a great love, a condescension, we would call it. The greatest act of humility that that is. We look forward to that, and then also we look forward to coffee hour a lot of times, the coffee that comes after. You know, when you receive Holy Communion, you think, okay, the prayers of Thanksgiving, or when are they done? And then we're going to bless the food and eat it. But I got struck with a real profound conviction last night. When you wake up in the morning, you may be fasting from food, but there's like a whole smorgasbord in front of you called prayer. You can arise in the morning. You might might be so hungry, so desperate for true sustenance 
that you would long even to get up early so you can have your spiritual breakfast early, so to speak. Can you imagine that? My God, I want to get up at 5 a.m. Is there such a time as 5 a.m. that exists? I don't know. Is there? Yeah, for some of you. Some of you have never heard of it. 5 a.m. or I don't know, who knows, 6.45, 7.10 maybe. But to, but to get up at that time, and to, you're, not, you're not thinking about food. You're thinking about the bread of life and the water of life. The very sustained, the, the super essential bread that we need. That comes from just speaking the name of Jesus. The saints experienced this um, viscerally, I mean, so immediately. When they speak the name of Jesus, it's like the, the person of Christ is being formed in their mouth, in a way. It's like bread is being put there. Nourishment is being held within them just by saying the name of Jesus Christ. There are some people who are so satisfied by saying the name of Christ that they barely even want food. Food is almost an offense, you know, because they know that food is barely necessary. I remember when I was younger than I am now and very zealous, even writing in my notebook, food is barely necessary. Well, did I, did I say that? But anyway, there's a feast before us, my dear ones, and it's, it's so wonderful. And we don't want to miss out on it because otherwise everything else just kind of, I don't know, it tastes meaningless. It'd be like ashes in our mouth. It passes through our body. It serves its purpose, but it never really satisfies. And the church is giving us this beautiful time to, to, to reveal to us that there's something greater that satisfies us. And it puts everything in perspective. I've been really reflecting a lot on our relationship with the world and with our body, because I think the time of the fast, the ascetical life is also a time for rediscovering our body and its purpose, not, not hating the body, but actually reclaiming it. I think one of the tasks of the Orthodox life is to rediscover, to actually find the body That we pamper and then we hate it. You know, we, it's, our, it's a, such a sor- source of struggle for us. That's because we have gone, we go from one extreme to the other. Rather than taking the royal path of moderation. Fasting moderately, feasting moderately and understanding that the thread between both experiences is the constancy of the life that God is giving us. But I'm realizing that we need in a way to come to hate the world, so to speak. The world as separated from God and to hate the body in a way as representing the selfish desires or St. Paul would say the flesh, not the body. This sarx is in Greek. The, The flesh, not the soma, not the body. But to hate the flesh and the selfish desire, to despise it and its selfishness before it can come to love what it was created to be. 
We're being given this wonderful opportunity. And we kind of experience that in today's uh, liturgical theme, the understanding of this. Today in the Holy Orthodox Church, we celebrate on the second Sunday of Great Lent every year the commemoration of St. Gregory Palamas, kind of a contemporary saint, reposed in 1368. That's an Orthodox joke. You know, before the turn of the millennium, so, I mean, after the turn of the millennium, so he's, we call him modern, you know. But he's famously known for, for believing that the person can actually directly encounter and experience the living God, the uncreated God. And during this time, there was a rise in the type of prayer called hesychastic prayer, which is a form of inner prayer of quietness, of solitude, and using the Jesus prayer to focus in on oneself, to go into the closet, as Christ has instructed us to do, to go into the closet and pray. And the closet could, could be represented in a way by a physical door that you open and walk into and close behind you. But ultimately, the closet that you're entering into, even if you're in a physical one, is the closet of your own heart, your own innermost being. The place where the kingdom of God is buried deep beneath much sediment, you know, in our lives. But we dig and we go into that place and enter into that closet. And this is what the monks at that time especially, and they continue to, were entering into and experiencing. And what they would do is they would experience the manifestation of the uncreated God in their life. They would experience the inbreaking of the uncreated energy of God within time and within space. Just like it happened when God became man and ascended into heaven and gave another comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that those who follow him wouldn't just know him, but would be united with him, be imbued with him. St. Gregory said that this is so real and so immediate that even the created person can see and come into contact with the uncreated God. And some scholastic ones at that time started to refute that. Say, well, God is beyond comprehension and therefore he cannot be directly experienced. Therefore, those who are those, these hesychasts who are entering into this type of prayer, they're deluded navel gazers. You say, just looking down, staring, because part of their posture in prayer would be to bow their heads. Sometimes sitting on a stool, quietly saying the prayer. One of them was Barlam, another one was Akindinos, challenging St. Gregory Palamas, and St. Gregory defended what the church has always taught. That from the time of Pentecost, people who seek to be purified by God can become the dwelling place of God, which doesn't mean to come into contact with some really neat thing that God created that's similar to his presence. But it means to come into contact with his very presence through prayer and through the ascetical life.
I want to read a little, just a tiny excerpt from the Synaxora in the Lives of the Saints for St. Gregory, summarizing what he taught. It says that he showed that spiritual struggle and prayer, so the life that we live as Christians, spiritually struggling. And what do we struggle for? To overcome our selfish desires, our ego, and our hypocrisy. But we also struggle for the ability to love other people. Remember, every struggle only makes sense when it's understood within the framework of the two great commandments. Loving God, getting out of our own head, getting freeing us, ourselves from the shackles of our own delusion and seeing our neighbor and loving him or her, the person in front of me. Of me. So St. Gregory showed that this spiritual struggle and prayer are the outcome of the whole mystery of redemption. How is the Christian to live through struggle and prayer? And these are the way for each person to make the grace at baptism blossom within himself. Remember, beloved in Christ, when we talked about the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden and their transgression against God, we said that our first parents were not fully formed, but they were given a great potential. They were given the potential to mature and to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And that's what happens to us when we're baptized. When we're brought into the church, we're restored to that place, but we're not mature yet. We're not fully formed. And we grow into the likeness of the uncreated God, a journey that has no end. So it's like a seed that's planted and that begins to blossom. Something beautiful happens, a fragrance, something of God, something wonderful. He also defended the authenticity of the methods which these hesychasts, these hesychia means Silence, solitude and silence in prayer. So he defended the authenticity of the methods they used to fix the noose, the the focus of one's being, the faculty of communion with God into the heart. Remember entering into the closet to pray. For since the incarnation, we have to seek the grace of the Holy Spirit in our bodies because that's where God has chosen to meet us which are sanctified by the sacraments and grafted by the Eucharist into the body of Christ. This uncreated grace is the very glory of God, which as it sprang forth from the body of Christ on the day of the transfiguration, overwhelmed the disciples, shining now in the heart, purified from the passions. It truly unites us to God, this grace. It illumines us, deifies us, and gives us a pledge of that same glory which will shine on the bodies of the saints after the general resurrection. It's the experience of eternity in the present so that when Christ returns again and we stand before him, it'll be familiar and not unfamiliar. In thus affirming the full reality of deification, of union with God, Gregory was far from denying the absolute transcendence or unknowableness of God. In his essence, he didn't say by experiencing God, therefore God is defined by or limited to my experience of him. 
Following the ancient fathers, but in a more precise manner, he made a distinction between the essence of God that can be participated in and the eternal, creative, and providential energies by which the Lord enables created things to participate in his being, his life, and his light, without, however, introducing any division into the unity of the divine nature. So while St. Gregory wrote in many seemingly technical ways, he was not writing as a philosopher, but he was writing to philosophers who through their rational minds would want to limit God to being a series of concepts that you could talk about. You've heard this idea of knowing about God rather than knowing God. And these scholastics would say, you can know a lot about God, but you cannot know God directly. But God is not a philosophical concept for St. Gregory. He is love. He is a living person and consuming fire, as Scripture teaches. I kind of want to experience that, <laughs> that uncreated energy of God, don't you? No one said yes. Okay, I heard someone. Okay, good. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only person in the room. So why would these men, I have, a, I have a thought, why would these men be so threatened by the teaching of St. Gregory and the authentic, what we would call the authentic experience of the church? Why would they? I have some answers that I think I've come up with through my limited experience. And maybe you can identify, maybe you can relate to some of these. One of my thoughts, and I, I say why did, did, were they threatened, but I think sometimes we're threatened too by what seems to be the overwhelming, incomprehensible reality of God's immediate contact with us that could happen and the implications of it. One of the answers I have given is that we want to be saved. We want to be saved, so to speak without having the experience of actual union with God. Because if we were united with God, it would utterly transform us in every single way. That's frightening. And it's a kind of death that we need to die, but we're afraid to. And so therefore, if we give him some of our life, a lot of times, I mean, even if we give him a lot, it's maybe 49, 51. 49% to God, 51% to to me so that I can hold on to something. I don't lose myself altogether. But we want to be saved without having the actual experience of union with God. The fathers of the church often talk about union with God as being a kind of mystical marriage. So I also think that we want the, the benefits of marriage without the commitment. So we want to be able to say things about God without the demand of actually being united to Him. It's like people do these days, they want, to, they want to have marital intimacy without actually being married to another person. You know, you want to have the benefits without the commitment. I think we want to be healed without being healed. Think about that one a little bit this week, maybe. Do I claim to want to be healed, but I resist being healed? I think we want to be healed without being healed. We want access to the heavens, 
without taking the roof off of the building. And we hear, like in today's, I'm not going to do an explication of today's gospel reading as well. But we hear a beautiful reading that connects really well to the theme of St. Gregory Palamas. Because you've got people who are confined within a building and they can't get in. The limitations of human logic have brought them to their end and so they rip the roof off of the building to access God. And we need to rip the roof off of our perceived comprehension, understanding of God and enter into the mystery of Him, laying ourselves bare before Him. Sometimes I tell people, if you need, if you need to, just lay yourself out on the ground before God and lay yourself bare as a symbol just of your barrenness, open, openness and emptiness before Him. Something beautiful happens. But we want to access the heavens without taking the roof off of the building. But St. Gregory is teaching us an important lesson. And it's very good for us to hear this lesson during Great Lent. Because Great Lent is a time of actual struggle. Meaningful effort. He's trying to teach us that our theosis, our union with God, is not metaphorical. Or intellectual. Or to use the language of the day, ideological. You hear that all the time. But it means you believe in something, you, you think that you can impose it on other people, but it doesn't have to really change you. And in fact, we need to be changed by it. So our theosis is not metaphorical, it's a genuine and specific reality. A pure gift of grace experienced in this present life, even. It's awesome. So, do that this week. No. So, how though? How? How? I mean, first of all, just understand that God is constantly longing to meet you here. Meet you here. One of the reasons we come to church, one of the reasons we step through these doors and we receive the sacraments is because we fail to experience the immediacy of God's presence as we were created to. And so we have to choose to go to the place where He will meet us, where we express our longing and our desire to meet Him. And in fact, you know, He's always knocking at the door. He's just waiting for us to open up. But we express that by going on our little pilgrimage to church and gathering together and participating in the sacramental life. That's one of the ways that we do it. But also we do it through prayer. To quote the scripture and innumerable saints. We have to understand that prayer is given only to those who pray. Prayer is given to those who pray. By doing it. You see, by doing. Oxygen is given to those who breathe. Prayer is given to those who pray. We could do this all day. Hydration is given to those who drink water. Anyway, but prayer is given to those who pray. And I, I, I will tell you that to desire to have prayer 
is okay. But to enter into the experience of prayer by praying and trusting that God will feed your ability even to speak His name when you don't feel like, when you feel inauthentic, when you feel like you're struggling to say His name even. You know, I like to tell people, you can say, Dear God, I'm having a hard time praying right now. He goes, thank you, that was a prayer that you just said. But also we pray simply. We pray, I mean, you can open up the prayer book and just start going. But also you can use the most blessed, powerful means of prayer called the Jesus prayer. And I don't have all day to talk about the Jesus prayer I would like to. But I want to encourage you to practice this beautiful, simple prayer that St. Gregory Palamas taught. Even got challenged by saying, well, yeah, the, the prayer is only for monastics. And then an angel re- revealed himself to the man who challenged St. Gregory in the middle of the night and said, no, it's not only for monastics, it's for everyone. And so it's for us. Sometimes I think it's too simple for us. We like, being, we like our sophistication. We like our complexity. We'll do this this week. Say repeatedly, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Fill your time with this awesome, simple prayer, which is really a summation of the entirety of the gospel. Think about what it means. Read a book about it. Go deeply into just this simple experience of calling on the name of the Lord. Use a prayer rope. It's helpful to help you focus. You don't have to, but it's helpful. Use the prayer rope and repeatedly, when you're in the car, turn off the radio. Say the Jesus prayer. When you're bored and you're not sure what to do, I'll tell you what to do. Say the prayer. Cultivate the prayer of the heart. Through saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, and believing that you're whispering into the ear of our Lord Jesus when you're saying that. And he delights so much to even hear hear us try. He loves it. I taught my children the Jesus prayer. When they were little, I remember a story from when Amelia was little, and one of our family members who wasn't uh, Orthodox asked her, she was maybe like three years old, so cute. She was chubby back then. She's now, she's like almost six feet tall. But anyway, they said, do you, they said something like, do you know how to pray? And she just went to sitting at the table. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And they were like, oh. But I was like, yes. Children can do it. If children can do it, and they get it too, honestly. And, and we can get it as well. And through beginning, just to, to return to the simplicity of believing that God is present, He loves us and wants to meet us in the services of the church, but even through the speaking of His name. The speaking of His name is a is a proclamation, is an expression of our belief that he is real, that he is a person, that we encounter him, and we can call upon him at any time.
So beloved in Christ, I pray that during this week we'll continue to go deeper. We will go deeper and deeper into this this simple but profound and mystical reality of experiencing in some little way the immediacy of God's presence. He's always present, but we're not always present. So through the cultivation of the prayer of the heart, you can come to a greater awareness of the immediacy of his presence. And you can become more present to he who is everywhere present and filling all things. May Christ, our true God, through the prayers of our most holy father, Gregory Palamas, grant us to understand and experience the mercy of God by entering into the closet of our hearts and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us. Amen.